A scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 6, starting with verse 8, and we'll conclude with uh, Acts chapter 7, the first verse. And in your pew Bibles, that is found on page 971. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses, who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, it encourages us that we're here. We thank you for being here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We had a wonderful Friends Day this past Sunday, and I know that there are those visiting again today as a result of that, and we thank you so much for coming back and being with us. And we look forward to getting to know you better and look forward uh, to worshiping and serving God together. It is wonderful to have new members announced. It's also wonderful to know that there have been three baptisms this past week, and we are thankful for the opportunities God gives us to serve and to worship together in His family. If I can, can I get just a little more sound, please? Our preteens probably will not even remember that the craze of the mid-90s is the WWJD merchandise. It was merchandise designed to encourage people to remember and to ask themselves, what would Jesus do? As we're studying through the book of Acts on Sunday mornings, we have been looking at the many things of action that we see in the book of Acts. And one of those things that we see of action is we see that Jesus lives in the lives of individuals. The book of of Acts shows us what Stephen did that was so much like Jesus. Both of them underwent a trial. Both of them were falsely accused. Both of them spoke of a temple that was made with men's hands. Both of them had a trial that ended in execution. Both of them, just before their trial, asked that God would receive their spirit. Both of them, just before their death, also spoke of the fact that they wanted those that had done these things to be forgiven. You see, when we think about the question, what would Jesus do? Stephen literally lived out what Jesus did. And this morning, as we think about what was it in the life of Stephen that made it such that he could live out that kind of life, and then to think to apply that to ourselves, 
What is it that we can learn not only about Jesus to do what he does, but about Stephen and how he lived that and then bring it to our lives? What is it that we can do? When we think about the very nature of Stephen, the scripture that's been capably read, if you have your Bibles, look again there in Acts the 6th chapter. And notice as we begin reading in Acts the 6th chapter in verse 8, it says in Stephen, full of faith and power. Now that's interesting there that his description is full of faith and power. Have you ever packed the car so full that, that all the cargo space was taken up, you're loaded with passengers, and, and probably somebody made the explanation, wow, we are full. Now think about Stephen. Luke gives us an explanation. What is it that Stephen ought to be? Or what is it that he is? He is a man that is full. You're not going to get more of this in him. He's full. What is it that he's full of? He's full of faith and power. But almost every other translation uses the word grace instead of faith here. Hugo McCord's New Testament translation, the New American Standard, the New International Version, almost all of them refer to this as grace and power. Now what is grace and power? One of the old scholars that I enjoy reading, he lived in the late 1800s, about this very passage, he said, what Luke was helping us see was that Stephen was a man full of sweetness and strength. Isn't that a wonderful description of a Christian? Someone who is sweet, they're gracious, but they're also strong. They live by a power that empowers their life and they refuse to move from that power. Therefore, the plea of Christianity is... Let's have a graciousness or a sweetness about us, but also a power about us. If you'd like to turn your Bible, we won't have a slide for it, but Colossians, the fourth chapter. Look, if you will, Colossians, the fourth chapter. As you're turning there, I remind you, the few verses that coming out of verse 2 and 3, it's where Paul is asking for them to pray for him, that God would open up a door, that he would have an opportunity to speak. And then he actually asked them to pray in verse 4, that he would know what he ought to speak. And then notice as we come to verse 6, he says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Isn't that interesting that Paul, he says, I want you to pray that I'll say the right thing. But then he turns around after that and gives a lesson and says, now I want you to think about are you saying the right thing in the right way? Speaking the truth in love. I want your speech to be gracious. I want it to be like salt. Brings out the flavor. Brings out the best. Now let's think about the sweetness of Jesus. And let's think about the power of Jesus. Hear these sweet words. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. You ever been under such a heavy load and you felt like you were going to drop something and someone comes and they, and they take part of the load from you and you may have said to them, oh, that was sweet. Jesus says, you've got burdens that you can't even bear alone. No man can bear the guilt of his sin and survive. Jesus says, I want to help you with that. That's his graciousness. That's his sweetness. But then also hear the words of Jesus when he says in Matthew the 16th chapter, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. That's stern. That's powerful. As a matter of fact, it would be offensive to you today if I said to you, I want everybody today from this day forward to start doing what I want you to do. 
Your answer to that, number one, would be no, and number two, it'd be because I have no authority to ask that of you. But think about Jesus Christ. Think about the power that He has as all authority and all power have been given to Him on heaven and on earth. And so it's in that authority that He can ask things like, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Him. And so now we study a man named Stephen. And who was this Stephen? He was a man that learned from Jesus. He was a man that was able to speak gracious words. He was able to speak sweet words. But he was a man also that was bold. As a matter of fact, this morning we're going to look at the setup to his discourse that comes in the seventh chapter. And then we're going to look at the end. What was the response? And then tonight we're actually going to come back and look at the discourse itself. But as we think about the setup and we think about the ending, what was the ending? The ending was such that they took him out and, and they stoned him to death. They executed him. Why? Because he spoke words that were so authoritative and so powerful and it offended them. But notice the power he had. He didn't back up and say, hey, don't throw a rock at me. Don't throw a rock. I take it all back. He believed. He believed with all of his life, all of his heart, all of his soul. He believed in the words that he was speaking. And so if we're going to have a similar nature, we ask Stephen, what would Jesus do? And his answer would be, Jesus spoke with graciousness and with power. Well, Stephen, what are you going to do? Read Acts the 6th and the 7th chapter, and you'll see that man living as Jesus lived. But then we all have to ask ourselves, how are we going to live this week? Let's evaluate last week. Will the people that you work with, you go to school with, would they say that you're sweet and gracious, but yet you're firm in your convictions? Would your neighbors that live on the left and the right and across the street, would they say the same thing? Have they seen that kind of gracious behavior out of you, but also that conviction that you stand? Your family members, do they see that graciousness? Friends, when we ask ourselves, how did Jesus live? We see that Jesus lived in that gracious and powerful way. But it wasn't only His nature that stands out about Stephen, like Jesus, but it's also the testimony that He lived. Look back, if you will, again there to Acts, the sixth chapter. And this time, look at verse 8, except this time let's read deeper into verse 8. And let's notice the testimony. In other words, His life preached a lesson. What was his life? We look at verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So that's a description of his actions, but now skip down in verse 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So here we have a glimpse. We have a picture of his actions, then we have a picture of his words. His actions were that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He could do wonders and signs, and his words were the fact that he spoke with such wisdom that it was from the Spirit of God. They couldn't even argue against Him. As a matter of fact, later in this same text that has already been capably read, we see the fact that when they wanted to accuse Him, they had to falsely accuse Him. They had to get and, and to provide false witnesses. They had to pay someone to lie. Now, let's think about that for just a moment. As we think about these wonders and signs... When you're reading in the scriptures and you read where a miracle is taking place, but instead the writer chooses to use the word sign instead of miracle, why? Why use the word sign? Now, some of you have heard me use an illustration 
Similar to this, as we talk about circumcision out of the Old Testament, it was a sign of the covenant that's to come. But it's the same kind of illustration as we look at miracles in the New Testament. What is a sign? Just outside the window there, there is a sign that says Mount Juliet Church of Christ. Can you imagine if you walked up there uh, this morning and as you were walking by the sign, you saw someone literally standing right underneath the sign? And you go up and speak to them and says, hey, could I show you? No, 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 I don't want to go in there. I, I want to go to the Mount Juliet Church of Christ this morning. And you're like, that, the Mount Juliet Church of Christ is inside the building. The people, the church, they're inside the building. Oh, no, no, right here's the sign. This, this is it. It's it. No, you don't understand. It's a sign. Yeah, this is it. No, it's a sign. What's a sign? A sign points to. And so what was a miracle? Did Jesus work miracles just so people would say, wow, did you see that? Did Jesus work miracles just so people would be healed? No. Why did Jesus work miracles? They were signs to point people to the powerful Almighty God. As a matter of fact, that's what Nicodemus had in mind when in John the third chapter, he came and, and he spoke to Jesus on that nighttime visit. And he said, you must be a man of God for no one can do these wonders or these signs or these powers unless they be of God. In other words, those signs pointed to God. And so now we, th we think about Stephen here. Stephen, what was your life about? Notice, he didn't just do miracles. He did miracles that pointed as signs to point to the Almighty God. As we look to this next slide, I'd like for you to notice the comparison in Acts the second chapter here in verse 22. Notice how even when we describe, and this is Peter, the first day the church began... Acts 2, how is Jesus going to be described? Notice there in 22, he is introduced and he says that he came to you to God by God by miracles, wonders, and signs. And we look back when he was younger in Luke the second chapter in verse 40, he waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. You see how similar Stephen was to Jesus. Now, as we think about our life, does our life point in the way that we behave by the actions that we engage in, by what we choose to do, does it point to the fact of the Almighty God? By what we choose to say, does it reflect God's Spirit and God's wisdom? As we look at this next slide, I'd like for you to think about the example here of Stephen and of Jesus and of us. You remember last week we studied the beginning of Acts, the sixth chapter, and you remember there was a problem in verse 1 that the widows that had a Greek background, they were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Now, by this time, the church was thousands and thousands in size. Could have been well over 15,000 in size. Now, I want you to imagine, there's a problem going on where some widows are being neglected, and the church is told, I want you to find seven men who can help look over this business. And out of all the thousands of men, Stephen is one of the ones that's chosen. What does that tell us about Stephen? He was a man that was known for the good works that he'd done in his life. Do you remember when Peter went to Cornelius? The Gentiles were being taken the gospel in an official capacity for the very first time. And when he goes in and he preaches to them about Jesus, he says many wonderful things, but don't overlook this simple but yet profound statement that he makes in Acts of the 10th chapter in 38 and 39 as he says about Jesus, who went about doing good. 
Does that describe us? We go about doing good. If the church were were to say, hey, we need seven people that we can count on to go about being a, a part of good works, would somebody in the church say your name? We look to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew the 5th chapter. And we know that from there that we're to let our light so shine before men and that we don't hide it under a bushel. But notice what he says here. We let our light so shine. Why? That they, talking about those about us, that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Our life should be signs pointing to the Father. The people that surround us should say, I know the Father better because I see the servant's heart of that individual that's a child of the Father. I hear the words of that individual and they reflect the spirit and the wisdom of God. You see, Stephen, he lived like his Savior in his nature, but also in his testimony. But there's also something that's very real that you and I must decide today. One has said, they did not die because they were martyrs. They were martyrs because they were willing to die. I wonder if there's anybody here that's a martyr. I'd like to think that this room is full of individuals that in a moment you would give your life before you would deny Jesus. You see, when we talk about what would Jesus do, we've seen two important things that Stephen learned from his Lord. But there's a third thing that is not a matter of choice. If we're going to truly live our life saying we want Christ living in us, we also have to be willing to suffer. Look over, if you will, at the end of the remarks that Stephen made. We're in the seventh chapter now of Acts. Acts the seventh chapter. Notice verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and they ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city. Now I want you just to visualize that. Hear what appeared to be civilized men. He gives a defense, and really he's more on an offense when when he gives that discourse in Acts the 7th chapter. He gives a defense, and they literally run at him, gnash him with their teeth, and they grab him, and they drag him through Jerusalem, and they throw him out of the city, and it says, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of the young man named Saul. Now, when we compare that to Jesus Christ on this next slide, notice what we read about Jesus Christ in John the 19th chapter, that they were delivering him to be crucified. And it says, and he went out uh, to a place called the place of the skull, which is called Hebrew Golgotha, and there they crucified him. You remember, when they decided to crucify Jesus, they did not lift up a cross in the middle of Jerusalem. Perhaps they were too dignified for that. They scourged him and they beat him and he, they mutilated his body. They pushed crowns of thorns upon his brow and they laid a cross on his shoulder and they pointed him toward the city gates. And he marched to those city gates as far as he could until he fell beneath the load. And another carried the cross outside of the city onto that hill of Golgotha. And there he met the cross again. You see how similar Stephen is? Take him out of the city. Kill him. They said that about Stephen. They said that about the Lord. But then the Hebrew writer does something very powerful. 
as he closes the book of Hebrews, the 13th chapter, and if you've If you haven't read this lately, or if you're not familiar with it, I beg you to go back and read these paragraphs in Hebrews, the 13th chapter. But here's just the heart of it. In Hebrews 13 and 12, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. Now pause there for just a moment. I want you to imagine that all of us, this is what the Hebrew writer is doing. I want you to imagine all of us are standing in Jerusalem and we look out of the gate and out of the gate there's Jesus dying on the cross. While we're in here, we're dying lost of sin. And we say, I would like to be sanctified with the Lord. In other words, I'd like to be set apart from the world. I'd like to be saved. I would like to be sanctified, meaning set apart and to be owned by God for His own, for His use. And so we say, I'd like to have a purpose in my life. I'd like to be fulfilled. I want to be a Christian. I want to be forgiven. And so, but we're back here in Jerusalem. And so the Hebrew writer is pointing outside the gate and he says, look, therefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to Him outside the camp bearing his reproach. When you read this in the context that it's written, the Hebrew writer is asking, are you willing to suffer? You want to be saved? You want to be sanctified? You want to bear the the, uh, glory of being a child of God? Okay, here's the question. Are you willing to suffer in order to be a child of God? Jesus could not have stated it any more clearly to his apostles as he did in John the 15th chapter and verse 18 where he reminded them, if the world hates you, it shouldn't be a surprise to you. The world hated me first. And then in verse 19, he gave the reminder, if the world loves you, it's because the world loves its own. And then finally he says in 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. John, what are you recording here? And he says, suffering? If you belong to Christ, yes, you're going to suffer. The world's always hated Christ. Do you see that through the book of Acts? What did they do with Jesus coming out of the end of the book of Luke? They crucified Him. What did they do whenever Jesus' followers, the apostles, began the church? They started persecuting the church. They started arresting the leadership. They started beating them. They continued to say, don't preach that message here. And friends, it hasn't changed. 1 John, the second chapter, teaches us to not love the world or the things that's in the world. If we do, how do we know that we're in the world? The world will love us. When we love the things the world does, the world loves us. And then Jesus here makes the plea, don't love the world and be ready for the world not to love you. Are we willing to be rejected? Friends, the word martyr, as we pointed out several weeks ago, That original word is the same word that the word witness comes from. And so for the apostles to be told that you're going to be witnesses of me, in other words, it was saying they were willing to speak for Jesus even when it cost them their life. You and I cannot witness the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Those days have gone by. We can read about them, but we can't physically witness them. But we can 
be a martyr in the sense that we're willing to die. We'll suffer all. We'll give up whatever it costs in order to be a Christian. But finally, this morning, as we move toward a conclusion, I'd like for you to notice two more passages here. Look in Acts the 7th chapter and verse 60 and notice the triumph. If we're willing to suffer with the Lord, we can have the same triumph that the Lord has. In the 7th chapter and verse 60, here we see Stephen saying, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. These individuals are stoning him to death and he looks up in the midst of it and says, don't charge them with this sin. It reminds us of the words of Jesus as he was dying on the cross in Luke 23 and 33 and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What is this? This is the triumph of grace. This is the triumph that says, I'm at peace. Think how much peace you and I can find when we are at peace to say, I forgive. You and I are going to pass from this earth one day And if our mindset is, I'm going to make sure everybody has paid their dues. Everybody that mistreated me when I was young, I'm going to make sure that I get back at them. That co-worker that gives me grief, I'm going to make sure this week I get back at them. That family member that never lets up on me, I'm going to make sure I put them in their place. That old friend from way back, I'm going to never forgive them. And you know what you'll have? No peace. No peace whatsoever. You want to know peace? K-N-O-W, if you want to know peace, you have a heart like Jesus. You have a heart like Stephen. A heart that says, you know what? The last thing I care about is going to my grave having settled accounts. God says vengeance was His. I'll leave that up to Him. And friends, we can have triumph. Whenever we can be mistreated and our last concern... It's about whether or not that person has suffered. We have won the victory. But then notice another triumph. The seventh chapter, verse 59. They were stoning him and they said, and he said, Lord Jesus, this is Stephen, receive my spirit. And you, you remember the words of Jesus in Luke the 23rd chapter, verse 46. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Do you see the triumph there? The triumph of power? They knew that their life was not being taken, even though physically it was. They were a soul. They were only in the home of this body for a short while. They were only on this earth as a temporary basis. They did not see death as something that was paralyzing and fearful. They saw death as an exiting from this earth into eternity where Stephen literally looks up and sees the heavens and sees Jesus not sitting on the right-hand throne of the Lord, but he is standing on the right-hand throne of God. He cares. He's concerned. He's inviting. If you and I are afraid to die, we cannot know the triumph that comes And being at peace to say, Lord, whatever will further your cause, let your will be done. Do you remember in the first chapter of the book of Philippians, Paul literally prayed he would rather die, but if he remained, he knew that it would be best for the church. And so he says, whether it's in life or in death, he just wanted Christ magnified. This morning, when we think about a triumph, what do you care the most about? I'm going to ask a hard question. 
I'm going to ask a question that's not real comfortable for me to ask. But right now, are you willing to say to God, God, if me dying this afternoon will further your cause, so be it. Or God, me living this afternoon will, so, will further your cause, so be it. But God, what I want more than anything is for your cause to be furthered. That's why Jesus could go to a cross and facing death with peace that says, I give you my spirit, God. That's why Stephen could be drugged out of a city and stoned to death and in peace look up and say, I give you my spirit, Jesus. That's the life and the death of Christians. Like Jesus, we have His nature. Like Jesus, our life testifies. Like Jesus, we're willing to suffer. But like Jesus, we want that triumphant victory at the end that says, I'm at peace, God. I'm at peace with you. I'm at peace with leaving this earth because it's not my home anyway. What do you do with Jesus? Will you commit today to be like Him in everything? If you've never become a child of His, why not today? Why not turn it all over to Him? Not because you have all the answers, because He has all the answers. Why not give it over to Him because He is powerful and we're so weak? Why not give it over to Him because He's so trustworthy and we're so insecure on our own? If you've never become a child of God, we'd like to help you with that this morning. If you're ready to be baptized into Christ, we'd love to see you do that. Maybe you've been baptized into Christ. Maybe you've become a child of God and somewhere along the way you've lost the way, your nature, your life of testimony, your unwillingness to suffer. And you want to make all of those wrongs right. By the grace of God, you can today. Repent, confess sin, and pray forgiveness. Maybe this morning you don't really know what to do, but you have questions and you want prayer. We'd like to help you in whatever way we can this morning for you just to take that next step. Let's all take one step closer to God. And if we can help you with that, come as we stand and as we sing.
We've got some wonderful news this morning. Uh, we can all rejoice that um, Justin Roney has come and he is ready to be baptized. Uh, Justin is a, a fine young man. He's a senior in high school and um, I've had the privilege to get to know him over the last year and, and we've been studying a lot over the last um, few weeks and uh, he is just a fine young man and um, we are so excited that today he's going to put on Christ in baptism. This time I'm going to ask him to come and make that confession. Justin, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I do. Amen. I know what you do. 